Good morning. We're just going to jump right into the word this morning, if that's okay. Are you all right with that? We'll wrap things up at the end of service like we normally do mid-service, but um, I wanted to, to jump into a brand new series today called Culture Clash. When we do messages, if you've been around Radiant for a while, you kind of figure out we, we do thematic messages. Uh, we do series, usually around a felt need. There's kind of three ways we think. I think uh, felt needs, what are people feeling? Do we need a relationship series? Is there some type of soul care that needs to happen, a financial series? Is there like a, a way of thinking and renewing our minds series? Those types of things, those are thematic. Another way is evangelistic where we... Where we'll do something like an at the movies. By by the way, we're going to be able to bring that back this fall, so we're excited about that. So that's a way just to reach the lost in our community, and we'll usually teach a few weeks out before that, just prepping the church on how to draw people into the kingdom of God and invite them. And then the other way, which we usually reserve for the summer, is a teaching series where we kind of dive in a little deeper. Uh, we went through the book of James one year. One summer we went through the book of Acts, and we go through all the chapters in those books. And the reason why we do that is because Reading through uh, the books in the Bible chapter by chapter kind of forces us to really not pick and choose thematically. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like preaching th themes and series. But sometimes we need to just dive into a book and let it say what it needs to say to us. So we're going to launch into a study of 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to warn you. It's a long one. It's going to be 16 weeks because there's 16 chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, the reason why I want to do this, if I can just be honest, is I've kind of come to terms with it. I think we all feel this, but it, it bothers us a little bit. But I've come to terms with that we have become a secular culture. We are founded on Christian principles and the Judeo and Christian values that our nation has. We still have that within our society, but we're drifting a little bit, if you catch my drift. We're drifting away from that, and, what I'm, and I'm learning that as a follower of Jesus, and because being a Christian in, in today's Western culture, whether it's Australia, Europe, or the United States, or Canada, the Western world is shifting away from Judeo-Christian values. And it used to be uh, you could be a believer in the 1980s and even the 1990s and then somewhat into the early 2000s. You could blend into culture and, and you know, people, you know, could take it or leave it if you're a Christian or not. It's not really offensive. It's your thing, whatever. It's not for me. However, now, um, here we are in 2021. We are in a new era. And it's no longer, like if you're a Christian, there, some people view that as a hateful religion. Now, and we get irritated, we get, we get disturbed by it, and, and we want to blend in, we want to fit in, but the reality is, is we're having a clash of cultures, the, the secular world culture clashing with the kingdom of God. They are not incompatible, it's just there's the world's way and God's way, and God's way doesn't bend to the world. The world's way bends to God. And that sometimes as a follower of Jesus can force us to have a culture clash. Now, I've felt this in a very physical, real way on my first missions trip. Now, my first missions trip was to Vietnam. 
If you don't know much about that nation, it is a communist nation, and it is communist to the core. There's nothing good about their social agenda. I've been there. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Most people, their first mission trip, we want to do something like, let's go to Mexico, or let's go, you know, and let's go paint a church or something. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's go minister to other Christians. But in Vietnam, there isn't a lot of Christians. And so I, I, my first missions trip was not a softball, you know, just experience, you know, a developing nation. This was not a developing nation. This was a third world nation. And here I am, and they're telling me, here's what the plan is. We're going to go into Vietnam. We've made this movie into the Vietnamese language. It's going to share the love of Jesus, but it's illegal. So we got to be careful. We're going to smuggle these videos all through the different villages in Vietnam. And don't get caught because you could go to jail. I'm like, Oh, that's what we're doing. And then they, then they tell us, hey, just before you leave, there's been churches that have taken offering for the, the churches in Vietnam, and we need each of you to strap about $10,000 of cash on you. Don't get caught with that cash. So they give us money about we're going through, like, do you have any cash on you? No. Uh, so we land in Vietnam, and instantly, you're here when you land, and you got to go through customs. You know, you have nice custom agents, and here's where you're going to go. And there's nice people that kind of point the way. In Vietnam, literally, soldiers with machine gun greet you when you get off the plane. Welcome to our nation. Go that way. And I'm like, whoa, this just got real. Culture clash. And everything was different. The food tasted different. The, the, at where we sat, like we would, you would sit like this in Vietnam. Like they would sit and eat meals like this. Like we would be in the market. And uh, these, I seen a little group of Vietnamese women, and, and they're just chatting. And, and then one dropped, and they all went, boop, 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 and they all dropped. And they just sat there, and they're like, chitting, chatting. Like, you would never see that in American mall. It was like culture clash. Like, I've never witnessed that. That's very bizarre. Yeah, that's how we're going to eat dinner every single night. Okay, we'll pray for my knees. Um, <laughs> the language is different. And, and because I'm American, they're smaller people. Thinner people, because they don't have the diet that we have very, uh, they don't have the same nutrition that we have. They're very malnutrition. So I'm seeing this, and I and the guys with me look like a giant to them. Now, the stage makes me look taller, but I'm actually a short person. If you talk to me, like in the United States, he's a wee little man. That's what I am. But listen, in Vietnam, I was a giant of a man, and I could not blend in. None of us as, a, as Westerners, they called us crazy cowboy Americans was the name. You know why they called us crazy cowboy Americans? Because we did not fit into the culture. We were eating at a restaurant, and in Vietnam, the way their trash system works, were, were at least the parts I was in, you threw your trash on the side of the road, and they had street sweepers that would come up and sweep, sweep up the trash. It was really disgusting, actually. Rivers of, like, urine and water, like, all, like, flowing through their streets. And someone came through and picked up the trash. Well, we pulled over in our, our van that we were riding in, and our uh, translator was throwing out all of our water bottles, just chucking them, chucking them into the side of the road to be swept up. And all of these Vietnamese people come out, and, I, you know, I don't know what they, they were just talking Vietnamese, and they're all, like, running crazy, and they're grabbing all of our bottles. And I asked the translator, What's, what's happening right now? They're saying crazy Americans, crazy cowboy Americans throwing out their bottles because they are such a poor nation that it's not like us really, you know, just chuck your bottle of water into the trash when you're done drinking it. They would save those bottles. And I thought it was crazy. I mean, it was a culture clash, and we stuck out. 
you could not blend in. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, we're not meant to blend into our culture. We're meant to be a prophetic voice to it. And not in an antagonistic way, but in a loving way. In fact, I'm going to just break down uh, Corinthians for just a moment, the culture of Corinthians, but I want to give a thematic verse for our entire series, and it's from chapter 16 at the end of the book. I want to read this to you now. We'll revisit it throughout the series, but here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, be on your guard because Paul is who planted the church in Corinth. He lived there for about 18 months. He visits this, this cosmopolitan city in Corinth, in uh, around 50 AD, and he's planted his church, and the culture of Corinth starts to to creep into the church. They started adopting and blending in. They wanted to, to merge Christianity with the culture of Corinth. So he tells them, "Be on your guard, not not antagonistic, too, but you need to be paying attention to what's going on in the world around you." Then he says, "Stand firm in your faith. Don't let culture rob you of your faith. Don't let them convince you that your faith is weak. Don't let the culture tell you that the, that your faith is is not moving. That it is not powerful. Stand firm in it, even if it seems to go against what culture is doing. Be courageous, because that's going to take courage. I'm sure." Some of us have already experienced some form of mild persecution because of our faith. Mostly probably in our culture, in our vernacular, it would be its ideology. Our view of marriage, maybe. Or our view of sexuality. Our view of gender. Our, our view of abortion. Those ideologies could, could force us into a place that we may be at least verbally persecuted. So it's going to take courage. And he says, be strong. So be on your guard. Stand firm. Don't lose faith. you got a strong faith. Be, it's going to take courage. And be strong. But here's the key. Do it all in love. Do everything in love. Don't blend in out of fear of culture or of its ideologies. Don't blend in. You, you, we stand out, but we stand out prophetically. We stand out as, as a prophetic voice to the culture. This is the Jesus way. And as followers of Jesus, it's the better way. It's the best way. But we must do it in love. And if we can be honest, at least what we see in the social media realm, and I don't think this is true of everybody, but I've witnessed Christians stand their ground, and it's biblical what they're saying, but it's not loving. And so when we're unloving to the culture around us, and you can't blame culture for being its culture, we can only be a prophetic voice to it, and we must do it in love. Now, Paul plants this church around 50 A.D., he lives in Corinth for 18 months. And here's what you need to know about Corinth. Corinth, in a lot of ways, is just like the United States. It is a, it's the second largest city in all of Rome, Rome being number one. There was about a million people in Rome. Corinth has about 700,000 people in it. And it, it is a major uh, hub and port for shipping, import and export. It's very wealthy, but it has also a lot of poor people in it. There's a discrepancy between the wealth and the poor because there were 400,000 slaves because Rome 
uh, had a system of slavery. So there were 400,000 slaves and 300,000 wealthy people within Corinth. And they were actually technologically advanced. Because Corinth was a peninsula and there was an isthmus, a small narrow land about five miles, they could shave off a trip from a ship from going around southern Italy up into the Mediterranean Sea. They could shave off days and it's actually dangerous because of the waters. They could do it in three hours. They developed a tracking system and would pull 38 uh, 38-ton 38 ships across this four miles in three hours. They had they had theaters. They were very uh, philosophical. They believed philosophically. And in Corinth was very religious. They had 12 different temples. The main deity of Corinth was the, was the goddess of Venus. And they, that was the main temple there. And it was near the theater. And they had, it had a thousand prostitutes, paid prostitutes. And you would go into Corinth and worship the goddess of Venus and have, se- have sex with a prostitute. And it was a sacred act of worship. And, and, there, were, and there was Judaism there. Christianity w- uh, w- had started to gain a foothold inside of Corinth. But it was a very religious. But the main feel, the main feel of Corinth was a party atmosphere. A good time kind of people. Um, hey, let's just have a good time. It, the best way to think about Corinth with the Western culture, and they were Greek and had philosophical, but it would be like the wealth of New York, Wall Street, the, the good time atmosphere of New Orleans, any, uh, the gambling and prostitution of Las Vegas, the technology of Silicon Valley, the politics of Washington, D.C., all of these things merged into one thing. And they had Orientals, they had Greeks, they had Egyptians, they had Jewish people, they had Christians, they had sailors, they had athletes. It was literally a melting pot, a lot like the nation of America, a lot like the Western culture. It is... A lot of the same. And what happened was the church, Christians in Corinth, begin to merge the culture of Corinth and adopt its value system and its ways. And its, They had pagan worship. The, the Christians in Corinth were practicing incest, sexual immorality. There was greed in the church. There was drunkenness in the church. I think we all agree, like, none of that's good. But it was all blend. They were taking the culture of Corinth and blending it into their Christianity. And someone comes to Paul and says, look, do you know... This is going on. He didn't know. So he writes 1 Corinthians to bring correction. So we're going to go through this because I think the same thing, we can relate to the same things because we have the same issues in our culture that Corinth was facing 2,000 years ago. And because it's God's word, it has a remedy for the church, and it has the same remedies for us. This is why we're going to go through Corinth together, the first Corinthians as a church together. There was actually a term, uh, a popular term. There was one called fastest Corinth, which was in uh, the whole Roman culture knew that. It was a very fast-paced society like we are now. Um, it was a really well-known term. Another term was uh, to be Corinthicized. And what that meant, if you went to Corinth, 
you would go to the, the pagan temple of the goddess of Venus and you would have sex with one of these prostitutes as, a, as an act of worship and you would have been Corinthized. It was a very well-known term in all the Roman world to be Corinthized. It would be like us saying today, if you know this, you can say it with me, whatever happens in Vegas, all right, we know who's been to Vegas. <laughs> Listen, no judgment. I landed there once at an airport. Uh, it was bizarre because it was like casinos in the airport. Anyway, we get what that means. If you're going to Vegas, you're probably not going there to visit a church. That, not that they're not there, but you're, that's probably not your reason. Listen, that's what they were meant when they would say to Corinthize. So you see that the culture looks a lot like our culture. So today... It's just a laying a groundwork for the next few weeks ahead. And I've, I've titled today's message, Don't Blend In. Don't blend in. Your faith is, is something to be pro, a prophetic voice to our culture. But we can't do it if we're going to blend in. We can't shrink back, which is why Paul is saying, be strong, be courageous. Don't shrink back from your faith. You have something the world needs. And so Paul, he writes this letter when he finds out that the Corinthians are getting, the Corinthian Christians, that is, are getting off track. And so today we're just going to lay a foundation of what it means or how we can avoid adopting a secular culture. We're meant to be a voice to the culture. This is, I'm a United States citizen, and everywhere I went in Vietnam, I still was a citizen of the United States, and I still carried the culture of the United States while I was in Vietnam. Well, you are in a world, we are in our culture, but we are citizens of heaven. And as we live within our culture, we still carry the culture of heaven everywhere we go. We sang it this Wednesday with Jared Anderson when we sang that when I show up, Heaven shows up. When I stand up, heaven stands up. Why is that? Because heaven is in you. The, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. And so therefore, our culture becomes a voice to the culture we're dwelling in and living in, a prophetic voice, and we stand out. It's a good thing. So this won't come up on the screen, but verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brothers, uh, Sothenus, to the church of God in Corinth, to the sanctified in Christ Jesus, um, and called to be his holy people to, together with all those everywhere. Well, United States is part of everywhere, so this would relate to us. Everywhere who called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a basically a standard greeting in 1 Corinthians. Verse Four says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So here we see Paul, even though it's messy, even though there's drunkenness in the church, even though there's sexual immorality in the church, even though the church is trying to adopt a pagan culture within the church, Paul still is affirming their faith. Can I say, yeah, it's looking messy right now. It looks like we're wobbling in the Western church, but it's still his bride. It's still his church, and Paul still sees the hope. So before he corrects, before he brings correction, 
he reminds them, you got this. It's the same for us. So verse 10 is where we're going to launch it today. So now he addresses the first issue, which is division in the church. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. So Christians together. But, but you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chol's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So Chol probably had like a community group in his home, and he's visiting Paul in Ephesus because that's where he is when he writes this letter. And he says, hey, the church you planted isn't doing good. In fact, there's a lot of division in the church. So there's quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So what we see happening here is basically the church is trying to uh, choose a leader and they can't agree upon it. They're basically uh, are trying to create a lead. They're divided over allegiances. So Paul was who planted the church. So he's saying, some saying, I'm a Paul. Like, Paul planted us. We need to be following this. And I'm going to say, no, Apollos was the person Paul left in charge when he left. Paulus was basically a temporary uh, uh, pastor for a moment. And he was more eloquent than Paul. He was from uh, Egypt, Alexandria. He's very... Uh, he was very intellectual, and he was a smooth. Most scholars believe he's a very polished speaker, so it makes sense. Like, I like Paul's preaching better than Paul's. And then the others were saying, I like Peter because Peter's he's the main leader of all the church. He's over in Jerusalem. So they're trying to do all this leading, but it's creating divisions in the church. Now, we don't necessarily have divisions over allegiance over leaders, but we do have preference over certain speakers today. Hey, have you seen this YouTube video? And I'll get, uh, not every week, but often, I'll get videos of different speakers and you need to preach this or, you know, this needs to be the voice that we need to be saying. Like, no, I'm going to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but, and, and we are a non-denominational church and inside this room, there are all kinds of people. There are, there are Baptists in this room. There are, there are spirit-filled believers coming from Pentecostal backgrounds, from the Church of God background. There are Lutherans. There are, there are some who have uh, come from Catholicism. There, there are Methodists, Nazarenes. We have become a melting pot of a church. And so what we bring is all our different theologies into one building but we cannot let minor theological differences, we cannot let semantics bring division in us. We must be of one mind. So you may have a background that has always had a piano and an organ in church and music. Why aren't we singing the sacred hymns in church? And other ones, and other ones like, no, I love the rock and roll. Let's keep doing that. But no matter what we do, we come in united. And Radiant Church is going to be a place for everybody. So... Number one, if we're going to avoid adopting a secular culture into our church, number one is we need to intentionally pursue the idea of unity within the body of Christ. And I would say even outside of the church itself, because I feel like we are a very united church. I think we are a healthy church. But let's drill it down to us personally. 
what we do with our social media. And I get that the last 18 months of our lives has been turned upside down. And there's a lot of fear that's crept into the church. And we have, we see things being posted. And there's a lot of division in the world now. There is left, far left, far right, conservative, liberal, and everything in between and way beyond. Uh, there, there is democracy. There is embracing of, of socialism. And we have all of this division happen. And now Facebook is no longer about posting what we're doing in our lives. Some of us do that. But now it's just become the platform in which we are going to rage and vent and let everybody know where I'm standing on this issue. And I would say most of the time it is without love. And you're not actually winning anybody to Jesus by telling them what you believe about Jesus. And I think the world is rolling their eyes at us because we're missing it because we're supposed to be doing everything in love and even our pose. And I get it because as a follower of Jesus, I do get irritated when, when, when I see something that I know is breaking the heart of the Lord. Just a couple nights ago, um, it's usually a habit of mine not to get on Facebook before bed, but I did it. Am I not alone? That's like the last thing you do before you go to bed. Like, what's everyone else doing tonight? And so I, I uh, jump on, and I see a meme of someone I've known since I was a little boy. Uh, and I can share this because it's public. I mean, he's posted all over Facebook. So uh, there's this meme, uh, and this, is, this friend of mine is just different. I... I uh, not really a follower of Jesus. I think probably believes in God from, from what we talked about God. He's certainly been in church and been um, a part of um, Radiant Church when I was in Kalamazoo. But has just swung a different way. Secularism has creeped, in, creeped into his heart. And that's my judgment. And he posts this meme about the choice that some are making about vaccinations. And listen, I, that's a personal conviction for you. One way or the other, I don't think that's a general conviction that all people must own. But he's mocking Christians in his post about choosing not to have a vaccination. That's not a statement of support one way or the other, just so you know. But then in the same meme, there is someone else uh, saying, I, uh, someone choosing abortion and saying, I choose to do it with my body, and he's basically calling us what's the word contrary is not the right word but hypocrite how can you say you can choose your body and I'm mad I'm mad and I'm like bro that ain't the same thing and so I'm like not the that's my post not the same thing not this in my heart I'm mad and I'm laying in bed like, he needs to know that. I've been watching this fool pulse, Lord forgive me. I've been watching this fool pulse all this crazy nonsense for the last year and a half. And why does he keep showing up on my feed? Probably because I keep reading it. But anyway, I'm just mad at him. And so I'm finally going to let this guy know, not the same thing. Explanation point. And I'm laying in bed and the Holy Spirit won't let me go to sleep. He says, you know, you preach all the time from the platform about not using this social media for division. I know that, Lord. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? So I deleted the post. Went on, delete, and the Lord's right. 
Here's how you know. The world doesn't need, especially a pastor, because I would never do that publicly. So why would I do it on a social media platform? How you know the difference is that attitude of the heart. The Lord was convicting me. Mike, that's not unity. Why don't you just honor the image of God that I created him in? He can have a different opinion. It doesn't change yours. You be united with my people. Be a prophetic voice. Let him see the love of Christ in you, not the division that you want to bring. If we are going to stand out and not blend in, we must be a prophetic voice to our culture by being a united people who will love the world around us. Paul tells them this. Let's jump into the verse 18. So then the verses between there, he, he talks about baptism, about not baptizing anybody. But verse 18, he says, now he drills it down to here's the point. The message of the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. See, that's what I mean by when you get on, when we get on the social media platform and we're just, you know, preaching in an unloving way, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to them. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, let me say this. There is power and the message of Jesus. Jesus is real. He did live on the earth for 33 years. He did claim to be God and proved it by rising from the dead. He is God and there is power in that message. But when you say it, it sounds crazy. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and you say, so let me get this straight. You worship a man who claimed to be God. This man you claim died and rose again three days later. Yeah, that's right. You might be crazy. Right. It sounds like foolishness, but it's the power of God. Here's how I know because it changed my life. It healed my marriage. I've seen the miraculous. I've seen provision happen. I, I've seen people get set free from drug addiction. People get set free from, there is power in the message of the cross, and there's power in the name of Jesus, but it sounds like foolishness. Verse 19, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Verse 20, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? Verse 21, for since the wisdom of God, uh, for, for since in, I'm sorry, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Let me just put it in our vernacular. Some people come in to our church and if you have more of a traditional background, you're more word focused and knowledge based. You're going to demand the word of God. If you come from more of a spirit-filled background, more of a charismatic background, you're going to be demanding that we be more charismatic. Do you know you're in a charismatic church? Probably not. You are. But Paul is saying, like, look, where is all of that? When it's godly, it's balanced. When it's godly, it's not weird. When it's godly, it's full of truth. And you have both the knowledge of God and, and the spiritual life. And now look, the Corinthian church, they kind of get it wrong. They get spiritually immature. We're going to see that in, you know, 12 weeks from now. But uh, we'll get there. 
But he's saying like, so we do the same thing. We come in demanding what, what the background that we come of. Jews are demanding this. Greeks are demanding that. Charismatics demand this. Baptists demand this. I mean, more, more hymns, more rock and roll, more of this. Look, we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom, the spiritual and the knowledge. There it is right there. The power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than the human strength. When some won't become followers of Jesus because they think I can do it in my own strength. And some believe that if we follow Jesus, you're weak. You're weak because you can't figure it out. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made. I can get myself through this. And it looks like weakness, but God's saying, no, it's not. How do we avoid adapting a secular culture? We need unity. But the other thing is this. Number two, we must embrace God's way of thinking over the world's way. This is where it's getting scary for us as a culture. Because the ideology of the world is now becoming very combated to Christian thinking, to Christian ideology. And it, we can start to wonder, like, well, no, maybe I'll just dim the light in my heart a little. Just dim it down a little bit. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. I, I don't, and we shouldn't want to offend. But sometimes just believing the truth is offensive all in itself, even when you don't want to be. But it, we can't take the fear of persecution or the fear of offending because of our belief and start embracing the world's way out of that fear. No, we must embrace God's way of thinking over the world's way. Why? Because God's thinking is not like ours. And listen, it may appear foolish to have a view of traditional marriage. It may appear foolish to live pure and keep your virginity to the world around us. It may appear foolish to give to the Lord a tenth of your income. It may appear foolish to obey God and, and, and serve him. Or it may appear foolish. You go to church every Sunday, that's weird. It may appear foolish to the world, but listen, often it, it feels opposite of, and backwards to the world, but we must embrace God's way. He tells us his thoughts are not ours. His ways are not ours. They are higher than ours. Billy Graham in 1949 had a crisis of a moment in his faith. I think his name was Charleston Templeton. Am I saying that right? I want to make sure I get this right. I had heard uh, Billy Graham share this one time, so I Googled it yesterday just to remind myself of the story. Yeah, Templeton. Charles Templeton was a contemporary in, in the 1940s of Billy Graham. They traveled together. They did crusades together, tent revivals all over America and Europe. But Charles started believing that the Bible might not be fully God's word and may be inaccurate and, and really thought academics and, and college and the study and all those are good things, but, was, but he believed it was better than the Bible. And so he's challenging Billy Graham's thinking. Billy Graham's wondering, like, yeah, maybe, maybe the Bible no longer is a, a, a good solution to modern life. Maybe the Bible no longer has application to the modern, updated, advanced civilization that we have now. 
and he almost became a president of a college, Billy Graham, because he is doubting the accuracy of the Bible. So he's in L.A., he's at this retreat, and he's, he knows, I have, to, I have to settle this in my heart. Am I going to believe that God's word, the Bible is God's word to us, that it has authority in my life, that it has, because it may be things the, the scriptures say that I'm going to have to conform to if it doesn't align up with, with my culture or with what I want. And so he goes out in the wilderness on a, like a prayer retreat day and he sets his Bible on the stump and he just asks the Lord, Lord, help me. And he, he's overwhelmed by the, the presence of God. And he says, just by faith, I'm going to embrace God's word. I'm going to embrace the Bible as God's word to people. And he made a determination. Yes, God's way is the accurate way. The Bible is true. It has a voice. It becomes a voice to us when we read it. And listen, God speaks through scriptures. He certainly speaks to our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But his, the Bible is how we gauge all of that. And it's after that one decision that Billy Graham's ministry blows up. A few weeks later is the great revival of L.A. When he was scheduled for three weeks, he's there for months. Filling tents, preaching the gospel, thousands getting saved. Millions of people have come to know the Lord because Billy Graham decided to embrace God's way over the world's way. Why? Because Jesus is the answer to what you're looking for. It is not culture. It is not trying to figure it all out and be an intellectual and YouTubing everything to find out all these different philosophical voices or intellectual voices. They're not bad things, but if they're contrary to God's word, it will corrupt your thinking. And Jesus is saying, he's telling us, don't blend in. Don't buy in. If it doesn't line up with God's word, you'll lose your prophetic voice. This is why I'm saying, church, we can do it in love. We can do it in kindness, but we can stand strong. We can be united, and we can embrace God's word. And we'll just land it here. I won't teach it, but verse 26, let's finish it out, brothers and sisters. So then he reminds them of their past. And when he's saying this, they're probably thinking, of the drunkenness or of the bondage they had or the thing that they did wrong that made them feel like they're so far away from God. And he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose you. God chose the foolishness. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Verse 29, so that no one may boast before him, it is because of him you are in Christ who has become for us the wisdom of God 
That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is Paul telling us? He's saying there's no amount of human wisdom. There's no amount of advancement of technology. There is no, these aren't bad things. He's not saying we can't be rational. He's not saying that we can't, you know, use our mind. But these things never trump what the power of God can do in your life. Last one is this. We must recognize Jesus really is the answer. Jesus is the source of everything you are looking for. He is the source of all righteous living. He is the source of all strength that you need. The source to heal your marriage. The source to set you free from that addiction. Jesus is the source to take you out of your past and give you a new future. Jesus erases the the past and behold all things become new it's why he says he's our redemption he's our holiness you may have felt impure by the things that you've done by your sexual immorality or by your drunkenness but jesus heals you saves you and now today because you're a follower of jesus you're redeemed now you're holy in the sight of god you are pure because of the power of jesus so don't let the world try to identify you place its own identity on you say well you did this this means this no i'm a new creation in christ jesus we must resist what the world says embrace god's word and live out of the source that the holy spirit puts on the inside of you because through christ jesus you are righteous you are holy and you are redeemed in jesus name that's good preaching. So here's what I want to do. This is just a setup for the weeks to come. Don't blend in. Don't blend in. You're okay. It's okay. You're going to stand out for the kingdom of God. You can be strong. You can be guarded. You, you can be courageous. You can stand firm in faith and do it all in love. Do it all in the joy of the Lord. Would you bow your heads? We're going to close in prayer.